name is Jordan. I am uh, I'm the youth pastor here at Vineyard Northwest. It's great to be with you guys. Um, we are in the middle of this series, at the end of this series actually, called God and Sexuality. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, we're, we're wrapping it up today. And so just a quick you know, content warning. You know, this is our third week in this series. We're talking about sex. Shockingly, I don't know if you could tell from the title. Um, but if, uh, if, you, if there are little ears in here that you're like, I don't know if I want them part of this, now would be your 10-second time frame to get them out of the room before I start saying words. Because <laughs> if you've been here long, you know we don't really beat around the bush when it comes to terminology. And uh, there are definitely going to be some words said this morning. So um, I'm really excited to share this message with you. Um, if you were here about a month ago, I got to preach on false prophets and false disciples. Today I get to talk about sex and sexual brokenness and healing. And so maybe next time I'll get an easy topic like giving or something. <laughs> um, but but I... I I really, I have a lot of expectancy for this morning, that I, I believe the Lord is going to do some really powerful things. I, I think that people who walked in here are going to walk out changed, your life just totally turned around, things that you thought were hopeless and could never end, I, I think they're going to stop today, and, and it's going to be a great day. I think families will be changed, generations will be changed, because some of you are in this room, but I want you to know it's not easy. <laughs> That's, that's, it's not going to just be a snap of the, like, it, it's going to, it's going to take some work, and, but I'm excited. It, it's, it's going to be a great morning. And, and this message that I'm sharing, it, it's one that um, the Lord has really worked out in my life in a really powerful way. So it, it, it's going to be good. If you were here last week, you heard Jennifer Cochran share on, um, she, her message was God's gift of covenant. And it was a really great message. If you didn't get a chance to hear that, definitely go back and listen to it. It's on the podcast app or it's on YouTube under Vineyard Northwest. And if I could like bottom line her message in, in one sentence, it was that God's gift of covenant is big enough and strong enough and powerful enough to hold sex. That, that God's design for sex can fit within the parameters, the fullness of, of sex can fit within his design for covenant between husband and wife. And, and that's the way that he designed it to be. And, and she gave this great analogy of a fireplace where like, you know, we, if you have a fireplace in your home, you can, you can build a fire inside of your house and there's a safe place for it where it's designed to stay and, and sit. And that's where you get to enjoy the, the power of the fire, the warmth of the fire. And that's the same way with our sexuality and, our, and, and sex, that God gave us a fireplace, covenant, to hold this, this fire. And, but fire can be destructive, and, and it's powerful. And, and if you don't have a fireplace, but you start a fire on your living room rug, <laughs> your house is going to burn down, or there's going to be a lot of damage, and, it, and it's dangerous. And, and, and it's the same way with with sex and sexuality, and, and towards the end of her message, Jen started to get into, so like, what happens if uh, you lived outside of that covenant? What happens if you had the fire in your living room and not in the fireplace? And that's kind of where I'm going to continue today, 
is, is how do we deal with fire damage and, and how do we clean that up in our lives? Because whether we realize it or not, using sex outside of God's intended design is really harmful. It brings a lot of pain. And, and we'll get into that. But my message today is called God's Gift of Restoration. And so that's where we're going today, God's Gift of Restoration. Now, we live in a time where we'd call it a hypersexualized culture, where, like, our world is run by sex. It, it's, it's everywhere. They're, like, we live in a time where everybody would say, not everybody, ma- many voices are saying the height of human experience is, is sexual gratification, or that you're defined by what um, your your nether regions tell you you want or desire or prefer, and, and that's like who you are. And, and culture uses the, the power of sex. It, it, it's getting us to buy things, go places, think certain ways, just, just constantly prompting us. It, it's constantly in our faces, whether we realize it or not, because in some sense, we start to become numb to all this messaging around us. It's... And, not only that, but it's exponentially reproducing itself within us, within, within our, our kids and, and culture around us. It, I mean, it's changing the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we act. And, and, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's totally infiltrating everything. And to those unaware or those buying into this, it's, it's masking itself as freedom and empowerment. You know, it's, it's my body, I'll do what I want and wear what I want and go where, all, all that, all these kind of things. And, and culture's encouraging this. You know, it's, it's saying that pornography use is normal and natural and that it's good. And even in many contexts, saying like, it's even educational, which I mean, to pause there is extremely destructive. <laughs> um, there's a, a, a stat and, and we'll talk more about porn in a second, but um, there's a stat that says the av- it takes an average of 12 minutes on the world's most popular porn site to find nonviolent pornography. And culture's saying, this is what you should use to, to learn how to have sex. This is what you should use to learn what's normal. And there are, I mean, there's tons of other problems with pornography, and that's not this message, but, but I mean, it's, that's our world. And it's saying casual sex as a means of fun or, or getting a need met is, is totally valid and celebrated and, and normal. And it, and it seems to boast on the outside, what a great time everybody's having. Look at all the freedom we're having as we're burning our houses down. <laughs> But what, it, what we don't see often, what doesn't get boasted on social media or, you know, what our friends don't share with us, you know, wherever, is the, that it's leaving in its wake pain and suffering and confusion. Questions like, why do I feel so lonely even though I'm, I'm getting all of these needs met? Why am I depressed? Why am I anxious? I thought this was supposed to help me. Why don't I feel fulfilled? And, and the world is just left at this kind of like 
bottom point where they just don't know what to do, and so they just go back, and it creates this cycle where you need more and more and more. And it's not just outside the church. It's not just the world. I'm going to share just a bunch of different stats here really quick. So if you're not a numbers person, sorry. In a recent poll, half of Christians, people that identified as Christian, said they believed casual sex was sometimes or always acceptable. That that was just the normal expression. To talk a little bit about, more about pornography... 65% of Christian men acknowledge to at least monthly porn use. There was another study. This was of 1,300 practicing Christians at a Christian college. So these are like young adults. It, it, it said the men and women we surveyed were involved in, in campus ministry, and they considered their faith in Christ to be very important to them. So this is like the people, like, this is like the core, right? Like the, the sold out ones, right? It says 89% of Christian men watch porn occasionally, 61% view it monthly, 24% view it daily or multiple times a day, and 51% of those questioned claim to be addicted. And it's not just a men problem. The, the 51% of women interviewed said they watched porn at least occasionally, and 70% and said that they had watched porn or participated in a hookup in the previous 12 months. And, and one more study here for us. Uh, at the start of COVID, uh, right at the lockdown, consumption of pornography increased by 12% in the first three weeks. And that's just on one site. That was like the, the, yeah. And you know, I had a really similar experience to what these stats are showing when I was growing up. You know, much of my life, I looked like a pretty good Christian kid. I, you know, went to church every weekend with my parents. I was super involved with my youth group. I didn't really get in trouble. As I got into high school, I started, you know, volunteering in the middle school ministry and leading a small group and, and doing all these, like, really, you know, good things and spent a lot of time with my youth pastor and then graduated high school, went to Bible college. I was doing all this good stuff, right? I, you know, in college, served in several ministries, uh, worked at different churches, um, was going to be a youth pastor, am now a youth pastor. Um, had, you know, this amazing girlfriend, and, and she was awesome, and it was like, everything's going good, and everything, like, looks great in this dude's life, if you just looked at me, and um, one day, my, at the time, fiance, Holly, and I were driving home from, we didn't live together, but we lived near each other. We were driving uh, back from the young adult ministry that we served in, excuse me, and we were probably a couple months away from getting engaged, or getting married, sorry, and as I was driving, I just had this sense, like, I need to, like, come clean with her about some things, and I was so scared, you know, I was, uh, I had hid all this stuff in my life, and, and I was 
driving the car and, you know, hands on the wheel, like a man not really totally able to, like, look over at her. Um, and I said, Holly, I need to tell you something. Because I had a secret that was eating me alive. I had been addicted to pornography since I was 10. And it had grown to the point where I was looking at this stuff like at least once a day. To the point where I couldn't start my day without looking at porn. I was late to classes and appointments. It was affecting my mood and like all this stuff. And I mean, it was just like destroying me on the inside. And, and at, it got so intense for a period of time, early college and, or end of high school, early college, where it was porn wasn't enough anymore. And I'd be at, you know, going to future pastor, participating in hookup culture. Just anywhere that I could find anyone who was willing to, to meet whatever need I felt like I had. And I felt so hopeless. And I, I felt broken and I felt disgusting and, and I didn't know what to do because I felt controlled by this sin in my life and I didn't know who I could tell about it. I had you know, tried at different times to talk to people but couldn't really articulate the how vast it was in my life, how all-consuming it was, how just like unable to help myself I felt like I was. And it like it just led to this like conflict on the inside. And you know, many times in my life I would encounter this passage that I'm gonna read here in a second. And this scripture isn't specifically about sex but rather for any hidden sin in our lives. Anything that we uh, hang on to and, and don't tell others about. And at first, I would read this passage, and it would just heap guilt and shame on me. Because I'd read it, and I'd feel like I could never live up to that. Like, I've already violated everything that this is asking of me, and, like, there's no way back. But then, as I... Um, studied it and, and heard another preacher share uh, this passage, it, it was like revealed to me in such a way that it's actually a passage that brings hope and freedom and restoration and that it's not actually a passage that's about perfection, but it, it's, it's about restoring, it's about healing. And so this is the passage, it's 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 9. says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So God, he's good and perfect. He is light and, and in him all things are laid bare, right? Like in a, in a room that's well lit, you can see everything. And... And if we've hidden sin in our lives or, you know, anything that we're, we're hiding from him and others, we're actually not living in his light, but actually in darkness. We're actually not in fellowship with him. And it's important to note, a commentator points out, this passage is not about salvation, it's about fellowship. That, like, you can be um, saved, you can be born again, 
and living in darkness. But Jesus didn't just die so that you could go to heaven. He died so that you could be restored in relationship with him. That you could live in, in intimacy, in fellowship with him right now. And so living outside of his light is outside of his design. It's outside of everything that he paid for. And, and so th this, is, this is a big deal. This is like, I mean, in, uh, in John 15, this, this is like when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. Living in the light and remaining in him, abiding in him. Like that's the source of all fruitfulness in our lives is to remain connected to him. And so it's a big deal that we stay in the light. And continuing in verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's this word cleanse. It means to free from the defilement of sin and from faults or, or to be free from guilt of sin, to purify. It's because when you live in darkness, there is a noticeable weight that is on you. There is, um, it, it's a burden in the darkness that, that, that it weighs you down and, and it's on your mind and, and it's constantly like, distracting you and pulling your attention but when we walk in the light that weight gets removed Amen. it gets burned away and, and healing can come in the burden of darkness and secrecy is burned off by the light of Christ continuing into verse 8 he says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I, I feel like verse 9 and verse 7 are super crucial to be read together. Because that it, verse 9 shows us how to walk in the light and what actually happens when we walk in the light. It's that... Um, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us um, and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and so this passage, it's not just about living a sinless life. It's not about living a sinless life at all. It's it, because living in the light is not perfection. But rather, this passage is about taking sin into the light and, and remaining there. And it's in the light where our, our struggles can be dealt with. So I think that's something we often get tangled up in, is believing that, well, before I go tell somebody, let me just clean this up. Let me just, you know, let, let's let a little bit of time pass, and then maybe I'll be able to tell somebody. Or, or well, let me just make sure, like, I'm not going to do that again, and then I'll go tell somebody. But the problem is, is that, like, the longer we stay in the darkness, the more the darkness is going to try to pull us in. But doesn't it sound so nice? Like any weight that you're carrying, any struggle that you've had, any burden from sin that's concealed, any brokenness in your past or present can just be totally removed and wiped clean. Doesn't it sound amazing? The enemy knows that it's amazing. The enemy knows that that's what we want. And, and that's where, where he comes in is that in all of this, we deal with lies. 
that he's speaking to us and whispering to us, saying things like, well, if you ever told anybody, you wouldn't be accepted. Saying things like, nobody else deals with that. You're the only one. Oh, that's disgusting. Oh, that's too far. Too far gone. No, no one would love you if they knew that was true about you. You'll be humiliated. They'll make fun of you. They'll reject you. You'll just, you know, you'll be shamed. And then he says, like, you know, why don't you just stay here in the dark with me? Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it's heavy. But at least no one knows. Maybe this time you can willpower your way out of it. And when I was sitting there in the car with Holly six years ago, hands on the wheel, like gripping it like my life depended on it, I was hearing all these things. All the lies flooding in. She'll be disgusted with you. She'll break up with you. She'll hate you. She could never love you. And I was just battling all of that. But these are lies. That's not the truth. And you know, the, the reason, there's a reason that you've never been able to stop on your own. Because, you know, the devil, he works hard to get you to sin. He works hard to get you into the darkness. But then it's like he works overtime to keep you there. So that you feel trapped. So that you feel alone, like you have nowhere to turn. The devil wants you to believe that you'll be rejected. But that's not what the scripture says. The Bible says in verse 7, then you will have fellowship. That when you live in the light, then you'll have fellowship. It's not until we're vulnerable with our struggles that we are actually in true community. And that we can actually have true intimacy with, with friends and family and, and other followers of Jesus who are going on the same path that we're on. And it's in community that true healing and restoration can come in. He works so hard to keep you isolated because in your vulnerability, you can have that true intimacy that we're all desiring. Because real community fights for freedom together. Because in, in vulnerability, we actually get to know people. It's no longer surface level, but it's like, we're actually teaming up together. It's not just me versus this thing I can't kill anymore. It's me and my brothers and sisters and against this thing. We can fight together. And this is why no matter how times we say, I'll never do it again, it just never works when we're trying to do it alone. We're meant to fight together. And the devil, he wants you to feel alone, and he wants you to feel trapped, and he wants you to feel like you're the only one that's ever dealt with this. You're the only one that ever did that thing that happened 20 years ago or 30 years ago. You're the only one who did that thing last night, whatever it is. But the reality is that heaven cheers when we confess our sins because we're stepping out of the cage. We're stepping into freedom. We're stepping into the life that Christ actually has for us. And, you know, the world, it's saying things like, oh, sex is just a need, it's just a feeling, get it met, have fun, it's no big deal. If you look at porn or hook up or fantasize or, you know, read romance novels or dream of being married to another person than who you're with, you know, whatever. Like, it's fine. It's fine. 
In religion, on the other hand, they're in the it's really bad camp. It's not fine, it's bad. In fact, it's so bad, if you break one of our rules, if you go too far or even do something or see something on accident for that matter, you gotta hide it. You gotta look normal. You gotta look clean and pure and righteous and we've got this whole facade to build up because we're religious and we're super spiritual, right? And, and if someone finds out you're fired, you're removed, you're shunned, you're grounded, you're sleeping on the couch, right? Like that's, that's a religious spirit attitude around this. But what is revealed in this passage is the kingdom mindset that it's all about restoration, returning to fellowship with one another and to God, being made whole again in community, in the strength of Christ's light. I find it interesting that in this passage when it says when you when you live in the light then the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all sin you'll be restored to fellowship all, right at no point does it mention that and once you get back in the light Jesus will slap your hand and say you should have known better I can't believe you would have done that right like it's it's all restoration it's all cleansing and healing and that doesn't mean that there aren't um, we don't take responsibility for things that we've done that doesn't mean that um, we don't have a right to feel hurt by what our friends or family or, or spouses have done or, or said or, or, or whatever, but our posture needs to be that of like receiving with love, that of Jesus, that re restoration to fellowship, that we're going to take steps together, not in punishment to, well, you know, you're, you're grounded now, or, or you can never go out again, or, you know, things like that that we often jump to. But rather, like, let's work together because you obviously want to be free because you came to us with this or came to me or, you know, whatever. And, like, how can we work together to help you stay free is, is a far better posture. You know, when I was uh, younger, I was probably 12 or so, and someone in my life found out that I was looking at pornography, the first person, first time that anybody ever found out. And uh, they called me a pervert. 12-year-old kid, confused and trapped and had no idea how to even articulate the things that I was seeing. I just knew I couldn't stop looking. Said, you're a pervert. And you know what that did? Just made me better at hiding it. Didn't help me get free. Wasn't what I needed to hear. So we need to embrace people with love and restoration as they, as they come out of these things. And in the last five years, six years of my life, I've experienced this restoration and fellowship that comes from living in the light. That night that I told Holly, I, I, and I confessed my sin, and I, I told her all my fears that, you know, she wouldn't want to marry me. I told her that I felt like I'd lied to her and tricked her into dating me and, and just kind of like spilled everything I felt like the enemy was saying to me. She looked at me with tears in her eyes she said, I'm not hurt by what you've done or that you didn't tell me. She said, I'm so sad for you, for what you've been through, and sad that you thought anything you could have done, anything that you've done, could have made me love you any less. Isn't that, I mean, oh, that's so sweet. She's, she's so wonderful. She's crying over there. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha. 
And you know what? I have, Holly's, a, Holly's a human. She's a wonderful human. One of, probably the most wonderful human I've ever met. And she's got a deep well of love for sure. But she's a human. And I know that, I mean, it's probably deep down there, and hopefully I never hit it. I'm sure there is like, there is a breaking point. There's probably an end to that love. But, but what a picture of the father that she shared who is faithful and just to forgive. That as we sit in darkness, he looks at us and he's beckoning us with tears in his eyes saying, come back to the light. Let me heal you. Let me restore you. Let me make you clean because nothing you have done separates you from my love. And that well never runs dry. And I know that being in the darkness, it can feel like we're miles from God. But the reality is that he's standing as close as he can to us saying, just turn around. Just come back in. Because living in the light is just a 180-degree turn. It's not a mile run. It's like you're never too far away. It just takes taking a step, moving in. And, and I'll be honest with you, this has been a process for me over the last six years. I, you know, I've, I've not lived in the sinless perfection that I would have hoped to um, in the last six years for the, uh, in the last six years since that moment. And and, you know, there have been months and weeks where I feel, like, strong and sure and, like, I'm just, like, so free. And was that ever even an issue? And, and like, yes, Jesus, thank you. But then there, there have been days and there have been weeks where every hour feels like a fight. And it just feels like the devil's just trying to pull me back in. And there have been slips and falls along the way. But the difference now is that I walk in the light. So that anytime I'm tempted towards darkness or, or step foot outside of his light, I know I'm invited right back in. And, and I know that I have people around me, my wife and, and close friends that I know, like, I can be honest, I'm struggling right now. Will you pray for me? Help me remain. Or I fell, will you restore me? And, and, and because of that, I've known the joy and the restoration and the healing power of living in the light. And so I imagine that, you know, a number of us are, everybody in this room might be in a different place. Some, you might be in a, a similar situation to me where you um, have dealt with this addiction for, for years and you, you just don't know how to get out. Others, it might be a, some different struggle. Maybe it's not porn, but it's, it's living different fantasies in your mind, or, or it's the way you look at people, or, or just thoughts you have, the books you read, whatever, and you just, you feel stuck. Or, or maybe it's something that just happened long ago. One-time thing 30 years ago, and you just never told anybody about it, and you swore, I'm going to take this to my grave. Maybe it's something that happened last night. One-time thing that's weighing you down, a, a, a cyclical thing that you just can't break. It doesn't matter if you're old or young, single, married, your ethnicity, your, whether you're rich or poor. None of that matters. Sin is an equal opportunity killer. 
And no matter what your situation, circumstance, or story, today is a day of healing and freedom for you. Because God has given us a gift of restoration. And no matter what it is that's going on in your life, whether it's past or present, one time or a cycle you can't break, God's gift of restoration is available to anyone who would seek it. And in a moment, I want to give you that opportunity to seek that restoration, that healing of living in the light. And, and so I'd like to invite Ashley to come back out here and, and play some keys as we, as we end this. And, and I want you to know, it, we're going to do a ministry time here in a second. And, and I think that this is really important that we actually do this together. Uh, because one, this is like with, this is with your church family. Like these are are the people that are going to be best equipped and most excited to fight with you, to fight on your behalf, to to help bring you into freedom. Another reason the Holy Spirit is here to bring freedom right now. Like there is a grace in the room for people to be restored, to be empowered, to take that step that you've been wanting to take, that you've desired to take for so long, but you've never been able to. Like, he's here to hold your hand into that right now. And, and right now, he's speaking to many of you, many people in this room. As I'm talking, things are being highlighted to you from your life, from your past, things that have, have lived in the depths of you, that have weighed you down, that you've woken up thinking about, things that you've thought no one can ever know about this. I can't tell anybody about this. The Holy Spirit, he's pressing some buttons. Bringing that out to bring you into freedom. One commentator said in reference to the the phrase, but if we walk in the light, he says this means to walk in a generally obedient life without harboring known sin or resisting the conviction of the Holy Spirit on a particular point. And so right now, if the Holy Spirit is pressing on you, if there's known sin that you're harboring in your life, he's saying, let's step into freedom. Let's move into freedom together. There's a passage that's in the book of Hebrews and it's quoted from the Old Testament, but it says today, If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in rebellion. So if he's speaking to you, he's he's trying to move you in a way that will bring healing. It might be painful at first, but it's going to feel way better on the other side than you feel right now. But we always have a choice here. We can listen to his voice or we can harden his hearts or harden our hearts. And if we are hardening our heart to what he's calling us into then um, we're just going to be in the same place we were when we walked in here. It's going to be harder to get out. And so I want to just end with uh, some ground rules for living in the light. I think these are helpful, helpful things. Uh, when, when When you go to someone to live in the light, if you're like, I've got this thing in my life and I, I need restoration here. One, I'd say go to someone who you, who's really going to help you. Someone that you know and trust and believe that they're they're for you and for example if you want freedom from pornography but you go to someone who doesn't want freedom from porn or or doesn't um, feel the same conviction for that that's not going to help you they're just going to be like oh whatever you know everybody does it 
And it's the same for any sin, gossip, dishonor, you know, sex outside of marriage, um, drunkenness, drug use, like, like anything. Like go to someone who's actually like under the same conviction as you and, and wants to see you free. And second thing, that person, it should be someone you trust. You know, it doesn't have to, you know, in a second, I'm not going to make anybody get up here on the mic and be like, here's the deepest, darkest secrets of my life. You know, go to someone that you, that you trust. And third, be open. You know, just, you know, you don't have to be going to excruciating detail of, of what happened or what you did or what was done to you or, or anything like that. But rather, just be honest. Like, this is, this is what I did. This is what, I ha- this is what happened. This is what I looked at. And when someone comes to you to live in the light, spouses, friends, parents, siblings, like, like these, are, these are just some of my encouragements to you. And I, I want to start by saying often um, people are hiding for fear of punishment, for rejection, for shame. And so take that, keep that in mind as, as people come to you. Because <laughs> And, and so one, this isn't a time for judgment, but a time for mercy and, and grace. You know, phrases like, <clears throat> you should have known better, that's weird, that's gross, what's wrong with you? Those are totally off the table. Because I, I actually don't know if I've, I don't think I've ever met a single person who's like, you know what, I woke up one day and thought, let me just blow up my life with a sin. Sin, it's something that we do, but it's also something done to us. And, and so uh, feel your feelings. It's, it's okay. Like, it's okay to have, to be hurt. It's okay to, like, have some pretty strong thoughts and, and things like that. But remember, like, this is like a, a healing, a restoring thing, not a, not a pull each other apart kind of thing. Second thing is it's not your story to share. It's not, you know, tomorrow's gossip or, um, you know, well, I need to tell all my friends or I need to tell your family, like, this is, this is like a very personal thing between you and the person that you share with. And, and the third thing is, is to show love and restoration. Because when a person steps into the light, they're dealing with sin and lies. They're, they're believing they'll never accept me. They'll never love me. They'll be so disappointed. Right? Like this is like... You know, if, if your kid is like, hey, I've got something to tell you, and they share something really hard with you, it's not like, well, you're grounded, give me your phone for a month. It's like, let's go out to lunch and celebrate, because you're going to walk in freedom now, right? <clears throat> so today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. This is a moment of salvation for us, and would you join me, would you just close your eyes with me? every eye closed across the room and, and I, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to ask you to do and it's going to freak you out um, but I'll tell you I've done this in rooms bigger than this I've done this in rooms smaller than this and it's all like there are, the Lord's always doing something and if right now you're feeling like I'm, I'm alone you're not there are other people in this room struggling there are other people in this room that are, are weighed down by hard things in their life. It, it doesn't have to be porn. It doesn't have to be sexual brokenness. It, it's just things you did in your past, in your childhood, that, that are just a heavy weight on you. 
that you're ready to be released from. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand in order to receive prayer. And this will be like a, a symbolic way of stepping into the light. And when I ask you to stand, we're not gonna pass a mic around and make anybody you know, share exactly what happened, when it happened, you know, whatever. Like, it's just saying, I feel burdened by something in my life, in my past, in my present, and I want freedom from it. And I'm going to encourage you to do this because the Lord's doing something right now. And I believe that, yeah, you could go home and you could have that conversation totally. But also the, the further you get from this moment where the Lord's calling you into freedom right now, the, the harder the devil's gonna work against you. The more alone you're gonna be in it. And, and so there is a grace here for freedom. And so if you feel the Lord tugging on your heart right now, there's, there's something that's come to mind and, uh, and you want freedom from that, but you're like, I'm kind of nervous to stand up or anything like that, but you're sitting next to someone that you trust. Just encourage you right now, just squeeze their hand and, and they'll stand up with you as you guys step into freedom so you don't have to stand alone. And I, and I promise you're not gonna be the only one who stands up here. And so what's gonna happen? I'm gonna pray, and then I'm just gonna count down from three, and when I, when I say one, I'm gonna ask you to stand if you, if you want to step into the light, and then we're gonna have people around you just come and pray. And this is a moment of celebration, of excitement, of, of God moving in power, of heaven going crazy and cheering, because you're about to step into freedom. Those things that have weighed you down are about to fall off. And so again, let's all close our eyes here together to give everyone just kind of a, a moment of, of privacy here. And Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. Thank you, Lord, that wherever you are, there's freedom and that you are light. And the blood of your son just cleanses us. Would you highlight anywhere in us right now, past, present, just, just show us, Lord, is there anything that you're inviting us into freedom from? We speak against any lies being spoken right now. I'm just gonna count down from three. Three. This is a moment being invited into freedom. Two, don't listen to the enemy. You're not alone. You're not going to be rejected. You will be loved. You will be restored. Do not harden your heart. One, you stand up if there's something in your life that you need freedom from. Praise God. Praise God. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your power in this room. Would you come and bring healing? Would you come and bring freedom? If there's someone around you that's standing, that you know, that they're a friend, that you care about, would you just go to them and just begin to pray? Let's just minister together.
We don't need, you don't need to be like, what is the thing? When did it happen? But just, just invite the freedom of the Lord. Encourage them. Put your arm around them so they know that they're not alone. There's freedom come fall in this room. Freedom in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.